Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV the most of in our lives. I am your host, deserving of a created by credit, Rod. <laughs> and I'm joined by... DJ Jukebox J. Yeah, Jukebox Jukebox J. DJ Jukebox J, get it straight, my <laughs> rep depends on it. Um, she's the rapper, and I'm the DJ. <laughs> I'm the DJ, you're the rapper. Something like that. Um, hi, welcome to Media Made. Um, if you are new to the show, here's the gist. So, Jess and I have gone through a list of every television show released in the year 1990. Hey, guess what? Welcome to the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad we couldn't play that, like, you know, uh, at the, in our movie episode of 1990. <laughs> but anyway, 1990, we've looked at a list of every TV show that debuted that year, and we have decided which one each of us have watched the most in our lives. And uh, we're going to talk about them today. Yeah. Just like basically every other... Like, TV episode, it's like, these shows show the complete difference in our persons, in our childhoods, in our, <laughs> our upbringings. Households. Yeah. As we've learned throughout the 80s, uh, I, I was completely... The, the idea of the black sitcom was completely foreign to me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that trend continues. But we're not going to talk about a, uh, a black sitcom right now. We're going to talk about my show of 1990. What was that, sir? Debuting September 14th, 1990 on CBS, featuring the voice talents of Charlie Adler, Trust McNeil, Joe Alasky, Don Messick, and Cree Summer, presented by Steven Spielberg. We have Tiny Toon Adventures. We're tiny, we're toony, we're all a little loony, and in this cartoony we're invading your TV. This cacophonous theme song. It's one of the better theme songs it's, that you've presented for it's, this. It's it's an earworm. Experience. Like I, I I hear it and I can't get it out of my head. I've had it in, stuck in my head for like a week. It <laughs> sucks. Okay, Tiny Toon Adventures. So um, tell me about it, Stud. This is a show that um, features a bunch of uh, Looney Tunes. It is basically the pup named Scooby Doo of Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's Baby Looney Tunes. Baby Muppet Babies, but Looney Tunes. <laughs> and I remember um, it ran on TV, and I think this was after the WB had launched, the, the network. Mm-hmm. Hey, is the WB? Whatever channel is now the... CW? CW, yeah. I believe it's the WB. Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, back, back in the day, it was WB. That was um, the channel that it aired on, which makes sense. Warner Brothers, they mm-hmm. own the Looney Tunes. And... Uh, it just—it was just on all the time, you know. <laughs> there and, was nothing else to take yeah. up small Rodney's time. And I remember back in the day, I liked it better than Animaniacs. And mm. now I'm an adult, and I think Animaniacs is like leagues above yeah, Tiny Toon Adventures because you get the references. Yeah, I get the jokes. I get the adult humor that they—they they hide in there. <laughs> the SMP didn't catch. Yeah, <laughs> but just this whole family of shows, the WB family of cartoons, like all the spinoffs that this show had: Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hysteria. Hysteria. <laughs> I watched all those shows after school on the WB. Yep, and I'm pretty sure I had some tapes that I would watch, and that that's it, you know? <laughs> it's one of those shows that just existed, and I watched a bunch of it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I've watched Tiny Toons, but I think the side shows got more of a, like, because like, I, I viv- more vividly remember Pinky and the Brain. I and, more vividly remember Pinky and the and Brain. We're, we're both younger than this show. Yeah. Or, no, I'm, I'm young, not. No, you, you. I mean, you were a baby when it came out. Sorry, but 
We were both either very young and or non-existent when the show debuted. I'm very smart. I got all of it. I watched it as a one-year-old, and I was like, ah, ha, ha. I'm just saying, by the sh- time this show was canceled, they were already showing those other shows oh, yeah, on yeah, TV. Yeah. So that's why we probably know them better than this one. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey. <laughs> but hey. <laughs> I can talk about how it was made. Tell me. All right. So, again, this is Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes. So just like with Disney... My history goes way back. Oh no, it's history time. Almost a okay. hundred years of history. Sangzanim, please. <laughs> I'm just going to take a nap while you go ahead. Go ahead. 1923. <laughs> oh gosh, it's so far. Harry, Albert, Sam, and Jack Warner founded Warner Brother Pictures. <laughs> bah, bah, bah. Uh, which found success throughout the 20s with both silent and sound pictures. Both silent and sound? Yeah, you got, you got, the, you got the talkies. <laughs> And the silence. Were they all cartoons? No, 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 no. They're just, oh, just normal just movies. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Warner Brother Pictures, just normal movies. <laughs> um, don't ask me to tell you what silent pictures they produced because I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look at that part. Come on, teach. Um, additionally, the company began acquiring a handful of music publishers uh, to form Warner Brothers Music around the same time. Oh, cool. So they were like a conglomerate, mm. right? So. Um, in 1929, seeing the success of Walt Disney, Warner Brothers became interested in developing animated shorts as a way to promote their now vast music library. Uh, because it was vast at that point. Right. Back in the day, uh, Disney used to run shorts called Silly Symphonies, mm-hmm. and it was like classical music played over animated sequences, right? Right. The Skeleton Dance, for example, is a popular one. Uh. So D- Warner's got a bunch of classical music that they can pull from, or like film scores or popular standards at the time mm-hmm. and they said let's just make a bunch of cartoons yeah so they created looney tunes as a riff on disney's silly symphonies <laughs> and uh they were off to the races all right um so the first looney tune short sinking in the bathtub starring bosco was released in 1930 oh i never i've never seen bosco what, what is it about i don't sinking in a bathtub i don't know but do you remember bosco no no one remembers Bosco. He's the he's the cast aside Looney Tune. Oh no, Bosco! Yeah, no one cares about Bosco. I remember Bosco. I care. Back in the day, Nickelodeon licensed Looney Tunes cartoons, but only Looney Tunes released before a certain year. Mm-hmm. So they only got the Bosco cartoons. <laughs> and then at some point down the road, Nickelodeon finally spent the money on the newer Looney Tunes, and they like released a promo like. We're playing new Looney Tunes. Sorry, Bosco. Oh, <laughs> Bosco. We're going to have a turtle. We're going to name it Bosco. There's no little Bosco in Tiny Toon Adventures. <laughs> they see odd. Yep. No one, no one likes Bosco. Anyway, for the next 30 years, under the direction of animators like Tex Avery, Fritz Freeling, and Bob Clampett, Looney Tunes and its sister series, Merry Melodies, spawned several successful short starring characters like Porky Pig, Daffy Doug, and Daffy Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. Ah, I know one of those. Porky Pig. All three were in uh, Roger Rabbit, your 1988 movie. That's true. Yeah. I saw all of them, but I only recognized one, Porky Pig. <laughs> I think Porky Pig was like their first big star. Like, sure, Bosco was the first Looney Tune, but like Porky was the the breakout star before Bugs Bunny was introduced to Daffy oh, Duck. Gosh. Yeah. So th- this period from like... The, the 30s to the 60s uh, was considered the golden age of Warner Animation. That's a good span of time to have gold. Yeah. 
During the 60s, though, uh, Warner shut down its in-house animation studio. I don't know why. Money, probably. Probably. And uh, Looney Tunes only saw sporadic releases by third-party studios. Oh. So all of the classic animation, the music, all that stuff, cast aside. Oh. Yep. That's why it's called the Golden Age, because there is an age to follow that was not quite as golden. <laughs> they did, however, stay relevant through reruns on TV. Yeah. So, like, I know that Gen Xers, like, Bugs Bunny and, and Tweety were, like, big stars of Saturday morning. Um, yeah. I think I'm a little, we're both a little too young for that, but that's, I, I didn't watch Looney Tunes on Saturday morning. I didn't, yeah, definitely. But it, I was but I can, Pokemon. But I can definitely uh, fully remember just going to probably elementary and middle school and people just having Tweety backpacks oh, yeah. and like, like, things. Like, it was, they were still... There was the, like... Resurgence? This, this show, Tiny Toon Adventures, like, kicked off a, I would guess, like, a Silver Age ah. of, of Warner Brothers cartoons. Mm. Um, that partnered with Space Jam. Oh, yeah. That's fair. Yep. Space Jam yeah. probably the, had a the lot ninth, to do with it. Tiny Toons and Space Jam probably helped the Looney Tunes stay relevant. <laughs> and, like, Six Flags theme parks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. And that brings us to the 80s. Late 80s, when the show was being developed. We've already got through the 80s. We passed the 80s. We're in the 90s now. We'll get there. <laughs> Tiny Toon Adventures began as an idea by then Warner President Terry Semel. Or Semel. Smell. Terry Smell. <laughs> Terry Smell. Who wanted to inject new life into the Warner Brothers animation department. And at the same time, to create a series with junior versions of Looney, Tune car- Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, as he saw the success of... Like Disney TV animation, like what we talked about with DuckTales. Right, right, right. And Winnie the Pooh. He saw the success of all the little tunes, you know, Muppet Babies, Pup Named Scooby-Doo, <laughs> Flintstones Kids. Little tunes. Little tunes. Um, and he saw the success of one Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, Roger Rabbit helped revitalize a lot of studios back then. That's true. Yep. They actually it, all work together. See, if we work together... It may, it may have fa- saved Disney and it may have saved Warner Brothers animation. <laughs> You're lucky, Disney. And you don't even recognize Roger Rabbit anymore. In 1987, Warner Brothers animation approached Steven Spielberg to collaborate on the project, probably because he helped make Roger Rabbit what it was. Right. And he was at the height of his powers. Right. But for a, a serialized TV show? It's not serialized, just, just a cartoon series, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, he was he was also at the same time working with Don Bluth on cartoons. Like he he was in the animation game too. That's true, wasn't he? I, I can't remember when Land Before Time came out. Eighty eighty eight. Okay, okay. Yeah, so he helped make that, and he currently has uh, the American Tail license at his studio, Amblemation. Oh right. So he's. Pr- I think he either will soon release or has re- just released Five Will Goes West, the sequel mm-hmm. to American Tail. So. The man has his, his hands in many, many pies. Yeah, that makes sense. He's also like, I've got kids now. I want to make kids stuff. He's got his many, many irons in the fire, Mr. <laughs> Spielberg. Um, at the time, Tiny Toons was not planned to be made for television. The series was actually going to be a theatrical feature-length film. Oh, that makes more sense yeah. as to why to bring in Spielberg. Spielberg. That would have been interesting. A uh, uh, Tiny Toons movie? Yeah. It would just have been, instead of Space Jam... Mini Golf Jam. <laughs> starring, oh, Bill Murray's in, I was going to say starring Bill Murray, but he's in Space Jam. <laughs> starring uh, Steve Martin. I don't know. Ah. I'm just trying to think of like a comedian that would have been in that show. It has to be a young comedian yeah. because Tiny Toons. Mm. A year later, the project was changed from a film to a television series with uh, Gene McCurdy, who had supervised Hanna-Barbera shows like The Smurfs and Flintstones Kids. 
overseeing production of the first 65 episodes. McCurdy said that Tiny Toons was changed to a television series be, uh, in order to, quote, reach a broader audience. Okay. I uh, mean, that makes sense. And studio talk for it. We knew it would make more money. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, McCurdy brought on different creative minds that had worked with her uh, at Hanna-Barbera, including Paul Dini, who would who's probably best known for his work on the Batman animated series. Oh, okay. And the resulting DC animated universe. Justice League, Batman Beyond, right, right, Static right. Shock. You said Batman series, but uh, I thought Batman Beyond. I saw sleek, same, shiny, same, same guy, Paul Dini uh, and Bruce Tim. Good job, Houdini. Both, both, both of these guys were brought in to Warner Brothers by McCurdy to help on Tiny Toons. Okay, so Bruce, T- I was like looking at the credits of this episode we watched, and Bruce Tim and Paul Dini are both represented in there, and I was like, those men will do great work. <laughs> um, Thank you for giving them a shot on this. And she also brought on Tom Ruger, who had just who had just come off of the successful A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. Probably the best little tune. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. I didn't watch it. When you say A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, I see Scrappy-Doo. Not that's that, not, no, that's no, not correct. No, I don't like him. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's better than Flintstones, kids. Yes. 100%. It's better than Yo-Yogi. Don't know. Is that a baby yogi bear? Yeah. He rides a skateboard. Has a backwards hat. Oh, dear. And that is how we got Tiny Toons Adventures. The right people at the right time made the right show. Um, so, the episode we watched, because uh, it would be crazy to watch a full, you know, like, 100 episodes of Tiny Toons uh, just for one podcast. So we watched one episode, the first episode to air, um, and that episode was called The Looney Beginning. The Looney Beginning. Uh, so, this episode... Aired in prime time on CBS, September 14th, 1990. But the show itself, after this, was run in... It was uh, released in first-run syndication. Meaning that just like we talked about with with DuckTales, like, they would package our blocks of Tiny Toons and sell that to local network affiliates all over the country. So if you're like KTLA5... Like decided, hey, we want to run Tiny Toons uh, every day after school at three o'clock. They could buy that hour block from Warner Brothers and run it. Got it. They were. They, it wasn't like tied to, a, you know. Would it be a note. the same hour block each day? Like it's the same two episodes? No. Every, okay. No. 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 It's it's every day. It's two di- two more two different. Got it. Episodes. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And, and then like they run the full sixty five episodes and then they start over again. Hmm. Yeah, that's how syndication works. And the uh, that's first run syndication, and mm-hmm. if otherwise you have to at least have a uh, hundred episodes. Correct. Okay. If if you have a television show that airs in prime time, uh, like Scrubs, <laughs> uh, once it reaches a hundred episodes, uh, whoever produced Scrubs, uh, NBC or whatever, can sell Scrubs to network affiliates for syndication, or or just any network. So Comedy Central can buy syndicated Scrubs and oh. air it every day at you know. Whenever they feel like it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, makes sense. Yep. All right, Looney Beginnings. Let's get started here with this episode. The first episode of, of uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, uh, you need to ease viewers into the show, and you need to show them some uh, familiar characters, right? Right. So who who introduces the show to us? The one and only Porky the Pig. No. Oh, who was it? It's Bugs Bunny. Who's that? Hey, what's up, dogs? Welcome to a special edition of Tiny Toon Adventures. And when Warner Brothers asked me to introduce this show, I said, for you guys, anything. As long as I'm paid in advance. 
few things about that clip. Uh, one, he he says, I only get paid in advance, and like a hand comes off screen to hand him a check. <laughs> um, two, you can hear it just in that moment. This whole show is fully orchestrated. The score. Um, that was a Steven Spielberg idea. Oh. Because of course it was. Yeah. Um, he insisted on having a fully orchestrated score because that's how the old Looney Tunes were, right? Mm, they so had like reminiscent, making like right. a nostalgia kick. But Warner Brothers was like, Steven, that's too expensive. And then Steven was like, but I'm Steven Spielberg. And they're like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I mean, Warner Brothers still owned all that music, right? So it wasn't like they didn't have it available to use. Yeah, recordings, but you'd still need, like, if you want a dynamic score, you have to hire an orchestra to play it. Mm. You know, so I assume, like, they, they animated the episode, then they sent it off to a conductor in, a, in an orchestra somewhere in L.A., and they would record the score to the cartoon ah. right there and make it, you know, add in all these flourishes and to stuff make it like feel real and lived it. Yeah. And they, this, sh- they, they throw in so many like little gags in the music even. Right. Oh, the first shot of this cartoon is of Hollywood. Right. Because it, it's, it's like breaking the fourth wall a little bit. It's like very meta. Right. We're talking, <laughs> this is a cartoon. It's a new show and it was made in Hollywood <laughs> and it's like showing this, you know, cartoon aerial view of Hollywood, like panning over all these cities in Studio City. And uh, you hear the classic Hollywood theme, like Hollywood. And they, they tip in your hat. <laughs> they have uh, just the, the cartoon score playing, oh, yeah. playing that tune. You're right. I hear it. Yeah. But also, it's very smart to be paid first. This is Good true. job, not Porky. What was his name? Bugs. <laughs> he's, bu- he's Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Um, he only gets paid in carrots. He's very nice to uh, tell us what the show is all about. Ah, yes. Tiny Toon Adventures. A fine show. That's all right. It all began quite a while ago, but I remember it as clearly as if it were a flashback. <laughs> it was late one night at the Warner Brothers studio. This is garbage! Garbage! No one wants to see a show about some rich little brat named Marty! Better come up with a hit show by 9 a.m. tomorrow, kiddo, or it's the axe for us! Now, get to work! Yes, sir. That's a healthy work environment if I've ever heard of one. This show is so insider. (laughs) I think maybe that was like the 90s attitude, right? It's like, hey, we can do a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, Hollywood jokes, Hollywood insider jokes, and we can get away with it because Steven Spielberg's involved. And we're edgy at 90s. And people know how, how this stuff works behind the scenes. What year did this come out? Or what month did this come out? September. September, okay. It's the 90s. We're edgy. I was like, did they know that already? Eh, it's been nine months. They yeah. did know we're edgy. Right. And uh, so, like, the whole the whole first episode is, like, set in an artist's studio at Warner Brothers. And the joke is, or the, the premise is that an animator... Needs to sell a show by the end of the night or he will be fired. Right. And uh, his angry executive is uh, not helpful, as most executives are. <laughs> That's true. Except me. Let me be your executive. I'm very helpful. So he, he he's about to give up and he decides to give it one last go and he draws two characters. Do you remember who they are? Buster. Buster Bunny and... Babs. Babs Bunny. So what's your name? Good question. 
Hey, what are our names? And a pen comes up and draws Buster. I'm Buster Bunny. And the pen comes back and draws Babs Bunny. And I'm Babs Bunny. No relation. <laughs> they said that specifically for the fanfiction writers. Oh, dear. <laughs> So, yeah, he draws Bu- Buster and Babs and thinks, this could be a show. Um, and he, like, he, he goes through a few different iterations of Buster. Like, he draws him to make him look like Rambo. Yeah. Like, very muscular. And he, they, I, 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 and I he think made it, a really cutesy bunny. Yeah, and it was like, ooh, that's too cute. What does he say? He, he says, said, that'll give someone cavities. It's so sweet. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, he finally settles on Babs and Buster Bunny, two, like, small versions of Bugs Bunny, basically. Yeah. And uh, the, even then, he's like, this will never work, and he throws them away. <laughs> and then he just gives up and goes home. <laughs> but Babs and Buster, um, they dig... Are sentient. They are sentient, and they dig themselves out of the garbage, and they say, hey, we can do this. We'll create the show ourselves for everyone who loves tunes. For the little guys. For the big guys. For the strange medium guys with bad haircuts. <laughs> but Buster, it takes of highly paid network executives years to come up with a TV show. Which means it should take us about as long as this next commercial break. Exactly. <laughs> yes, that is the creator, the writers of the show making fun of their bosses. <laughs> as well they should. <laughs> it takes a team of highly paid executives to come up with a show. <laughs> oh, well, this should be easy for us then. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Yep, and so like, that brings me to my first point here. Like... Like I said, this show is so insider, and they just cram in jokes the children will never understand, right? Mm-mm. Even in the opening um, theme song, the theme song that plays before every episode of this show, like, the the, the third line is like, mm-hmm. we're comic dispensers, we crack up all the censors. Yeah. Right? As in the people who censor the show. Right. Who, who decide, you know, what to rate the show, like, rated TV, you know, uh, G, TV, PG, seven. yeah. Um, and I'm like, no kid's going to understand that, but no. it's in everything, <laughs> every episode of the show. It's right there. It's a joke about censors. And here they are making jokes about network, network executives. Talking about how, how the, how the sausage gets made. made sausage. <laughs> I was like, it's a lyric. And here's the deal. Like it's mildly amusing to me because I understand what they're talking about, mm-hmm. but it's only that. Like, I'm not, this isn't like, oh, this is so hilarious. And maybe it's because I've, you know, I now live in the year 2021 and uh, this, you know, I've like existed in a meta world for so long. Like this stuff is like not new or bold or fresh in any way. Yeah. But maybe in 1990 it was. Yeah. Like, oh, we didn't pull back the curtain. Yeah. And now we are. We never broke kayfabe this much. (laughs) Using wrestling parlance. (laughs) But here they are just doing it. And it's it's like nonsense to children mm. and maybe you know it's there to maybe make the parents laugh but even then it's like i if i was to show this episode to my parents and i played that clip about network exec, network executives neither my mom nor my dad will would laugh at that yeah they would be like what is that yeah or just it would just go over their heads yeah so th- it's like jokes for just a very small very set of people small a niche set of people and technically i guess we're part of it because we get it and we're like Clever. Eh, move past it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to play another clip, another example of, like, just, like, insider humor. And so this is when uh, the the artist is developing Buster Bunny. He, he draws Buster. 
he gets the proportions right and he's like, okay, this is Buster Bunny. And then Buster says, well, hey, I need some, I need to be colored now, right? And I need to be given clothes. Right. How about a splash of color, pal? Whoa. Who are you, Ted Turner? <laughs> he draws, like, just disgusting colors. Yeah. Better. Now, for the censors, how about some clothes? A star is drawn. So, one, there's a Ted Turner joke. And I like this musical sting under there. Yeah, that's that wonderful, wonderful orchestra. orchestra. But you know who Ted Turner is. Sort of. See, you don't even know. (laughs) Ted Turner was a media mogul. He owned... Oh, wait, Turner TV (laughs) Tananas? Turner Classic Movies? Yes, that's what I said. TNT? That's exactly what I said. Those were the words that I said. Turner (laughs) Tananas. Ted Turner. (laughs) He was a media mogul. He bought a bunch of old, old, old movies Mm -hmm. and aired them on his channels. And he was notorious for colorizing old uh, black and white movies. Right. And it was, you know, to like film purists and and archivists, it was a blasphemy. How dare. Um, So, like, to some people that was funny. But again, not... And I would think most people, when that joke is made, they're like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Turner also owned um, the Atlanta Braves and uh, World Championship Wrestling. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. A mogul indeed. Yep. And then they have another censor's joke. You need to give yeah. You need to give Buster clothes because he can't be naked. Yeah. He's still Donald Ducking it, though. Yeah. He's not wearing just pants. just like top half. <laughs> Next step, Bugs. Bugs. Buster and Babs need to come up with the rest of their show. They've got, you know, they're the, they're the stars, but they need to, you know, make it, you need other things. You need a cast. You need a place. You need a, a person's, you got them, but you need places and things. You need a whole noun. I've made up a list of everything needed for a hit show. Let's do Tiny Toons instead. Right. We need appealing stars. Done. Also, we need an exciting locale, wacky but lovable neighbors, arch enemies, and stories. So they have to spend the rest of this episode finding all of those things. I honestly, most of those, I was like, yeah, okay, you can find that. And stories. And I'm like, that, you can't do that in a night, buddy, 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 buddy. You cannot <laughs> do this, this thing you are trying to do. They kind of trivialize um, writing scripts, too. They trivialize the writing team because, like, they go to commercial break and then they come back and it's like, ah, all done. All this, the whole scripts for a, a full for a full season. And they have this big, this giant stack of papers. Knowing that, that took a team of thirty yeah. thirty months to do. <laughs> Imagine writing like being given the task of writing sixty five thirty minute episodes of a cartoon. I don't want to imagine it. And I, I'd assume for most of those, every episode, every one of those sixty five are two shorts, like uh, two two fifteen minute shorts. And you have to put at least. Um, one referential uh, joke in your script per three minutes. Oof. (laughs) (sighs) That sounds like I quit. (laughs) I tell you what, hats off to you, um, writers and animators, everyone who makes a show, except for the highly paid executives. You all get my respect. (laughs) Orchestras. Yep. So the first thing on that list was they, they needed to do is they need to come up with a setting, a place to live. So they, they settle on Acme Acres. Okay, what's our location? Feast your eyes, Babsy. So what do you call it, Rembrandt? Green Acres. Get uh-huh. current. Okay, Acme. 
me acres. So that that clip, they make a dated reference, a <laughs> boomer reference to Green Acres, which is an old TV show. Yes, with whistling. Yes, yeah, so it was. It, I, that was one of the shows. Remember, I told you I would like come home from school and watch like episodes of TV Land, and I'd watch Growing Pains and yeah. Disney Afternoon. Green Acres was always the show. Like I would watch Gilligan's Island, and then Green Acres would come on. I change the channel. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to watch Green Acres. <laughs> But yeah, this show is also jam-packed with references, pop culture references, specifically boomer pop culture references, because that's who Steven Spielberg and all of his friends were. They were boomers. All right. Do you remember any of the references they mentioned in the show? Oh, no. Not specifically boomer references, but just references in general. Oh, no. I have one. Oh, no. <laughs> so this one is actually related to one of our movies of the, the 1980s that we talked about. Was it Roger um, Rabbit? It was. That poor guy is throwing his career away. Not to mention ours. Requesting clearance for landing. Roger Rabbit. You've got the wrong bunny. Get it? At one point, she's drawn like Jessica Rabbit, she right? She is, yeah. yeah. She's drawn in a very like sexy way. She has like a, I don't know. A vocative like, way. Yeah, co- cocktail dress. Yeah. Shiny and red. So next up on their to-do list was to create a lovable cast of neighbors. Lovable. So um, they have a few neighbors. Um... You know what I appreciate about the show, though, is that, like, the neighbors are basically just miniature versions of uh, the classics that we know, except for Brawly. I've already forgot the first Looney Dune's name, and we're going to name our turtle after him. Oh, Bosco. Bosco. Except for Bosco. Uh, but they're not, like, it's not little bugs. It's not, it's not yeah. little. They, like, have their own names and their own personalities, even though their personality is, like, a shtick from whom they are the mini version of. It's kind of it's it's sort of a teardown, a uh, deconstruction. Yes, it is a deconstruction of the characters they're based on. Mm. And none is a better example than Hampton the Pig. All right, baby, this is your audition. What do you do? My name is Hampton J. Pig, and I uh, uh clean. I react to characters funnier than I am, and I have low self-esteem. Well. Every show needs a straight man. You're in. I'll get my sponge. He's going to go get his sponge. Mm-hmm. So uh, Hampton is just a teardown of, of Porky Pig and I think like maybe even Droopy, the dog. Like, mm. I have low self-esteem. <laughs> what does the J stand for? I don't know. Jacoby. Hmm. That's, that, that has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Um, who's the other... Like basically the other the four, the fourth character to round out like the main cast, Daffy, little Daffy, <laughs> Plucky Duck, Plucky, best character in the show, just a cotton-tailed menudo. You can't pull this show off without me. I am Plucky Duck. My resume. My resume. <laughs> Hands his resume and he can do everything from superheroes to dramatic roles. <laughs> I love that when you say dramatic roles, you immediately, like, twist your hand to go, Ugh, Yorick. Yeah. I'm I like, knew you well. I'm holding the skull. <laughs> Anytime like someone says, like, if you're trying to be dramatic, it's a Hamlet hand motion. No joke. Plucky Duck pulls out a skull to do the last poor Yorick <laughs> thing. Or no, I don't think it was him. I think it was Gogo, the other character, the Dodo. Oh, yeah. I don't I like, I don't, him. I didn't pull any clips from that guy because he sucks. <laughs> Can you remember any moment? About Gogo the Dodo. <laughs> he was in, he got kicked to Crazy Land. That's what I remember. 
I remember more about Boba 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 Bo than I do Go Go the Dodo. <laughs> Let us never bring up Boba 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 Bo in this house again. Let us never. Don't say Boba 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 Bo in this house. <laughs> you missed a bow, and that was a dark time in my anime history. Colorful cast of neighbors, check. Got it done, right? Next step, they need villains. Villains! Antagonists. Um, they introduce a few villains here in this first episode. One of them is Dizzy Devil. Who is a, he's a little version Tasmanian. of Tasmanian Devil. Um, but I never considered him a, a bad guy. He was like, you know, kind of like a, like a simple-minded uh, ruffian, right? But he, mm. I, I never got the impression, at least in my memory, I don't remember him being like antagonistic toward the other people. I feel like he like didn't know his own strength or something. Like he might mess something up because he's a little rambunctious, but he was always friends with everybody. Yeah, maybe it was like that was the intention, but they were like, mm, "You're too adorable." Yeah, and they changed around. We we see that happen. Yeah, that's true. He he had a face turn. Um, <laughs> and but turn and turn and turn and turn and turn. Get it? Because he spins. Oh, uh, it's like the Big Show. He turns every day. <laughs> um, there were two antagonists though that I wanted to focus on. Name one. Richie Rich, Monty M- Montgomery. Yeah, uh, that would be Montana Max. That's what I said. Montana Max, that stupid animator promised me my very own show. Where is that no talent hack? He went that way. If you hurry, you can catch him. He can't do this to me. I'm rich. I'll sue. He'll never work in this town again. So, uh, Montana Max and the other antagonist I want to mention are probably the two smartest, like, little version of a classic. Looney Tunes character. Smartest right? meaning they're in, it's an intelligent character or an intelligent choice. Intelligent choice. Got it. It's clever. Um, Monty Montana Max is based on Yosemite Sam, right? Right. But like the the depiction of like an old prospector who shoots you know guns and mm-hmm. is very rambunctious is not really a. It's hard to make a little kid version of that. Yeah. And also like. That's not really a, a an archetype that existed in 1990, right? Yeah. You know, like, cowboys and Indians weren't really even all that popular anymore, I would think, right? Sorry, my brain automatically was like, and Indians? Mm-hmm. No. You know what I mean. Yeah, like, I that do. classic childhood game that is problematic yeah. now. <laughs> yes. Um, but what Cops they did... robbers. What they did was they created Montana Max, who is a spoiled, rich brat. Yeah. He is, um, he's like a, you know, like you're... The child of, like, a southern billionaire. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's like a joke on t- t- Ted Turner. T- t- Ted Turner. Ted Turner, Ted Turner was a, a southern millionaire. Ah. And uh, maybe Montana Max was uh, based on, like, a Ted Turner's ch- child or something, you know? Maybe. I think that, like, it makes sense as a switch to me, right? Because prospectors are just uh, uh, out there to take land for themselves and uh, profit off of what they, I guess, build on it. Uh, and Montana Max, just as we see, goes out to take what is not his and profit off of it. Yep. He's like he's he's like the son of a real real estate developer, even. Mm. Um, and then the other... Do you remember the other antagonist they introduced? Elvira? Elmira. Elmira. Elmira just wants to hug you and squeeze you into any bitty pieces. And then I'm going to change your diaper by myself. So Elmira is a take on Elmer Fudd. Elmer, Elmira. Oh. So the idea is Elmer Fudd was a hunter, right? Mm-hmm. You'd go out and hunt rabbits. Wabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you make a child version of a, a hunter, an animal hunter, right? 
you make her a little girl that is overly rough with her pets. Oh, yeah. Very clever. Yeah. Because, like, you see little bratty little girls who, like, will, like, pet the cat the wrong way. Ugh. And it's this cat clearly is trying to get away from this little girl. And, like, yeah. she's, like, roughhousing with it. <laughs> like, uh, who's that character from Finding Nemo yeah. that taps on the glass? Darla. That's Darla. <laughs> That's who Elmira is. And it's played by Cree Summer, who... We didn't see her in a different world when we talked about it in 1987 TV. But she's in season two, which we have made it to. Yeah, we're watching. We're currently watching uh, a different world on our free time, and Cree Summers is a cast member now. Yeah, and she is such a great voice actor. Like that doesn't even sound like that Elmira voice that she's doing sounds very different from her normal speaking voice. Yeah. So she was born to play a voice actress. <laughs> Cree Summer is like. She's prolific yes. as a voice She's actress. really good at her job. She is. Whichever um, job she does. But Elmira sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I hate the character. And I think maybe the, they made a good heel. But it's like, you know. You're like, I can't stand you. You're annoying. I'm using a lot of wrestling terms today. But it's like, go, go away heat. <laughs> like, oh, okay. It's like, I want her to just go away. Like, <laughs> I don't want to see the heroes triumph over her. I want to see her go away. And not return. Well, I mean, lucky for you. She was not a, a star in this episode. This is true. Uh, in fact, Monty, Monty, Montana Max was like the main villain of the, mm-hmm. I guess the only conflict of the show other than, hey, we need to make a show. Yeah. He like steals the scripts for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And they have to go and get it back from him. If anyone ever stole my scripts, I will not say this on mic because it could be used It'd as... It'd be like Paul, Paul Giamatti from Big Fat Liar stole my script. <laughs> I'll show you some go away heat. You make him blue. Uh, and, and ruin his life. Die. <laughs> so the episode wraps itself up there at the end. They not only get their scripts back, but they deliver the show right on time as the animators coming back. Coming back to the office early in the morning. The network loves the entire concept. You're a champion. Congratulations, my boy. Here's that bonus. And the the animator like comes out with a giant wad of cash. Oh, if only bonuses came that easy. Or like a giant bag of money, and he is he like takes credit for the whole show. Yeah. But he does come back and tell like Buster and Babs who are Babs. Yeah, Babs. Yeah, Babs. I'm thinking of Lola. Lola. <laughs> That's why it took me a minute too when you asked the names. I was like, Lola's not the right name. <laughs> uh, Buster and Babs, and he's like, thanks guys, you really saved my job. <laughs> and they ask one important question. Thanks guys, you saved my job. If there's ever anything I can do for you, I mean anything. Just name it. Okay, can you get us a created by credit on the show? Yeah, in your dreams, pal. So, uh, <laughs> if you are unaware, and I don't blame you for doing so, uh, created by credits are where the real money is made. If you get a created by credit on a cartoon, uh, you're rolling in dough. Oh. Or, like, you're ro- rolling in more dough than you would if you weren't a creator credit. Huh. Uh, so, funny story about Tiny Toon Adventures, um... Many of the series' uh, characters were developed by series producer and head writer Tom Ruger, uh, essentially making him the creator of the show. However, he did not receive creator credit. What? Why? (laughs) Uh, Because there wasn't a creator credit on Tiny Toons Adventures. It just said, Steven Spielberg presents Tiny Toons Adventures. Wow. So Tom Ruger got cheated out of a a creator credit. And I assume this is a joke shoved in by him. (laughs) I can't know that for sure. I don't want to cast aspersions on Mr. Ruger. But But if you did, golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. All in good fun, you see. Hey, but that's Tiny Toon Adventures. Easy show. Easy. 
you you had said like you were surprised because it seemed like it was a chore to watch going into it, but then we watched it. Like, that was fine. Yeah, it was fine. It's because I don't trust the cartoons that you make me watch. Oh, <laughs> but would you recommend Tiny Toon Adventures? I would. Yeah, it's it's, it's a cute little show. Yeah. The art is really good. If you have a, if you have nostalgia oh. for it, I would certainly recommend it. That was legit. What I was gonna say um, at one point, I was just saying, was that the art is really good, and then you were like. That's because Houdini did it. And I was like, ah, oh, that well, makes sense. Well, um, as far as like the, the art itself, one, a lot of money was pumped into it. Um, I was reading that this show has double the cell count of any of pretty much any other animated television show at the time. Oh, wow. So that's a lot of that's a lot of money in animation. Um, this first episode, just so I can get this out of the way, was animated by Taiwanese studio Wang Film Productions, not TMS. Like some of the Disney stuff. But I, I'm pretty sure TMS also animated sh- episodes of this show. Yeah, just not this episode. But it, it, it's a good looking show. It is. It's very good looking. And uh, I think like the qual- the the money, the t- quality talent, all show in, in this episode and in later episodes. Like mm-hmm. It was like an all-star team making a pretty good show. Um, I will say I would recommend Animaniacs over this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little smarter. It's a little quicker snappier hmm. gets to the point uh the i think the the characters are even a little bit more i don't know uh charismatic you know they're not tied down to the looney tunes legacy yeah oh and that's another thing we didn't mention like the the premise of the show moving forward is that all of these little tunes buster babs hampton plucky they all go to like looney tunes university oh yeah university and they're the all the professors at this university are classic looney tunes characters like you know, it, uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Right. Um, they, they're just there with... To learn to be loony. Yeah, but we, we really don't even get... No. No, we, we have a scene in the school where they're like... Uh, they go to Bugs to f- try to figure out how to get their stuff back from Monty. And, you know, we see some of the classic characters in a hallway. Elmer Fudd in a cap and gown. We saw uh, Coyote McCoyote. Coyote. Uh, we saw Sylvester and Tweety. Yes, and uh, you're thinking of uh, Coyote McCoy. Wiley Coyote. That's what I said. Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> I don't think we saw Pepe. Pepe. He is, he he is in the show, and there is a little Pepe Le Pew, but it's a girl. Oh yeah, yeah. Gender reversal. <gasps> Ooh. Because a forward girl is not as creepy as a forward man in these uh, woke times. Yeah. I was like, nope, just as creepy. Yeah. But, but I think at the time, not really that's actually different. At so. the time, they didn't want to, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. So, so let's talk about where Tiny Toons, uh, how it was received and where it went from here. So ratings were high during Tiny Toons syndication run. It, in fact, received higher ratings than its Disney afternoon competitors in some affiliates. Ooh. So beating Disney at its own game. Oh. <laughs> Industry publications frequently noted Spielberg's involvement, the high budget, and the golden age sensibilities as positives. But I did find one one review from the Los Angeles Times that called the show flamboyantly stale. Huh. I don't know if stale is the right word, but uh, apparently this this reviewer was not a fan. Had to reach. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody's saying good things. I'm going to say not good thing. Tiny Toons Adventures uh, was nominated for eight daytime Emmys, winning seven. And it won uh, one primetime Emmy. So, oh, cool. There you go. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Tiny Toon Adventures ran for 98 episodes. Good thing it had forward syndication. Yeah. Um, so after the conclusion of its second season, 
um, Fox bought up the distribution rights, and the third season ran on Fox Kids as opposed to syndication. Ah. I watched some Fox Kids back in the day. I think I did on Saturday mornings. Uh, Fox Box. Fox Box. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the show was canceled in 1992 in favor of Animaniacs. So basically Um, all of the talent that was working on Tiny Toons just just went off and made Animaniacs. And they uh, made a little bit more (laughs) racy. Yeah, and that's the reason why a lot of the characters that are in Tiny Toons just showed up in Animaniacs. Um, Elmira was one such character. Yeah. She appeared in Animaniacs a few times. Also, I think the... So there are some, like, shorts in Tiny Toons Adventures featuring a baby Plucky Duck. Yeah, Ducky Go Down the Hole. Right. That thing. So it's... That's the the only thing I remember from the show. It's... I I actually watched some of those old baby Plucky shorts. It's like... elevator one? I think they got one of the animators or writers, their young son, to just come in and record the lines. (laughs) Because it literally just sounds like a little boy doing these lines. And it's just like... Plucky Duck's parents trying to, you know, parent an unruly child. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to potty train him in one episode, and he decides to... Just put everything down the hole. <laughs> he re- Like, you, you put some toilet paper and it goes down the hole. Oh, down the hole. <laughs> and he just throws everything in the toilet and flushes it. <laughs> um, and I think that young Plucky character shows up in Animaniacs as well. Mm. Because he was like a breakout star. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. So there was a spin-off series called The Plucky Duck Show, which produced which was produced in 1992 for Fox Kids. Oh cool. It was based on the character Plucky Duck, obviously. Um, but except for the premiere episode, The Return of Bet Duck. The show was composed entirely of recycled Plucky-centric episodes from Tiny Toon Adventures. Wow. So it's just a remixed version of Tiny Toons <laughs> with Plucky Duck as the star. Oh dear. That's I mean If you're going to trick what? children into watching a, a new old show. <laughs> hey, I mean it's a way. Um, a feature-length film entitled Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer Vacation uh, was released direct-to-video in 1992. And I, I had this on VHS. I don't remember. It, it must have been the, the actual direct-to-video release. Mm-hmm. But part of me thinks like it might have been taped off TV because it did. it was aired as part of the series as well. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I can't remember which one it was. Like, did I tape this off TV or was it the actual movie? Either way, I remember it. I remember Plucky and Hampton going like a road trip and a Jason Voorhees type type character. They pick him up in, like a like a hitchhiker. Oh, Jason Voorhees. From Friday the 13th. The guy, oh. the guy with the, the, the hockey it, mask. Got it, got They it. pick up a guy with a hockey mask and a machete on the side of the road. Don't do that. Yeah. That's the only thing I remember about that movie. Don't do that, kids. Fox released three Tiny Toons TV specials between 1992 and 1995. When it was already canceled? Yep. Okay. So continuing the legacy. Uh, There was It's a Wonderful Tiny Toons Christmas Special, Mm. the Tiny Toons Spring Break Special, and Tiny Toons Night Goolery. Night Goolery. So Tiny Toons' spiritual successor, Animaniacs, had its own spinoff show called Pinky and the Brain. Mm -hmm. I watched a bunch of that, too. This show was then spun off into another show called Pinky Elmira and the Brain. Oh, I, I vaguely remember that. That must have, like, you did not watch that, did you? No, I did not, because <laughs> Elmira sucks. Um, and so, from what I understand, in the show... Sorry, at Warner Brothers Studios, there was, like, one executive that loved Elmira. And he insisted that the writers continue to bring her back. Mm. Even though all of the, the writers hated her. No uh. one wanted her. 
but this one executive was their boss and said, no, get her in there. And they, I guess, insisted that they make this spinoff show called Pinky Elmira and the Brain. <laughs> about Elmira, the overactive child, taking Pinky and the Brain, the two lab mice, home and being her pets. Yeah. And in the, in the theme song of Pinky Elmira and the Brain, there's a line where it's like, you know, Pinky and the Brain, right? Mm-hmm. It's The line goes like, it's what the network wants, so why complain? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So even they, it was like, we're doing this out of obligation. We don't want to make this show. <laughs> but we leave, want jobs. Leave, leave us alone. Well, I mean, at least Cree Summers got work. This is true. Tiny Toons Adventure was a merchandising powerhouse from the very start, spawning things like clothing, toys, watches, comic books, a quarterly magazine, <gasps> and numerous video games. What is a Tiny Toons Quarterly magazine? What is in that magazine? Tiny Toons content. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to eBay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Whatever you can buy old Tiny Toons magazines. I think they they tied in with every, like, fast food chain under the sun. Mm, I believe that. (laughs) I mentioned video games. There was a canceled PlayStation 2 fighting game called Tiny Toons Adventures Defenders of the Universe. It never released, but... Apparently, all of the main cast signed on to be in to, to voice the characters mm-hmm. in the game, and it would have reunited all of the main cast. Aww. and it just didn't happen. That would have sound. That would have been fun. I wouldn't yeah. have played it, but that would have been fun. Yeah. Um, and after this, after the success of the Animaniacs reboot on HBO Max, uh, Warner Brothers announced in October 2020 that Tiny Toons Adventures would re- would be rebooted as Tiny Toons Luniversity. Oh. Uh, it's going to be featuring older versions of the characters. That makes sense. They're in university. Yeah, they're like late teens, Buster and Babs, I guess. They're at uni. They got to be older than the children they were before. This is true. Anyway, the uh, new series is being produced right now by Amblem Television and Warner Brothers Animation for a 2021 release on Cartoon Network and HBO Max. Cool. Woo. Boop, boop, boop. And that's Tiny Toon Adventures. Any parting words for us before we're going to break? Carrots or cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to close out this segment with the credits theme of Tiny Two Adventures. Join us on the other side with Jess's show of 1990. Yeah. Tiny Toon Adventures are cartoons with a new attitude. I am woman, hear me roar. They like trouble. Like totally gnarly to the max. Act tough. This is a job for someone else. And try to be cool. Chill, man. Coming this fall. I'm here. A brand new TV show. Steven Spielberg presents Tiny Toon Adventures. Watch it after school each weekday. Check listings for the time and channel in your city. coming back are you confused do you think this is the music episode we're coming in with 
parents just don't understand why DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince off their, I think it's 1989 album, because it's apropos. Apropos it is. We're watching a show, essentially, we're watching the, the, the jumping off point for the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Like, they're... Their media tie-in, if you will. <laughs> yes. What is it? Oh. <laughs> Debuting September 10th, 1990 on NBC, starring James Avery, Janet Hubert, Karen Parsons, Alfonso Ribeiro, and Willard Smith, <laughs> we have the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You didn't say um, Miss Muhammad Ali. Who, who did? Ali. Uh, little Ashley. Oh, sorry. <laughs> she was a child at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can I can mention her. Hold on. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Tatiana Ali. There you go. There you go. Um, so this is Jess's show of 1990, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Tell us, how did you discover the show and why is it your show? Um, <laughs> this is a show because, uh, what else would we watch at our house? We were like legitimately like with my, my uh, family the other day. And we were talking about um, this podcast, and we said, yeah, we're on 90s now, TV. And my mom said, what even shows were there in the 90s? And my, one of my sisters immediately was like, uh, Fresh Prince. Yeah. So uh, it was just a family thing. It was a thing that we watched. It's ubiquitous. I will yeah. say that. Like, I feel like everyone has memories of the show. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Including me. Yeah. But my memories of the show are exclusively to the theme song. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I, I to be, I don't think I ever watched an, any a single episode of the show. Really? Before uh, watching it for this this really this podcast, yeah, never. Um, I knew the theme song very well, and I, I can't even like I can't even tell you how I knew all the words to the theme song, but I did <laughs> as a little kid in like elementary school. I had a friend named Aaron. He loved this show. Like, him and his family. Like, they reminded me of, uh, what is the family's name in this this show? The Banks family? Like, his family reminded me of the Banks family. Um, and so he was a big fan of the show. And I remember he had the, he had a CD that had the theme song on it. Mm. And so him and I connected over knowing all the words to the theme song. <laughs> was that back before you uh, shunned all music? I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so, like, the theme song was my only gateway into the show. Uh, but I knew people liked it, and I knew who Will Smith was. Ah. Yeah. What was he? Because I, I didn't watch uh, Independence Day, and I didn't watch Men in Black. And he, what else was he in? Lots of stuff, like, but way back, Way back when, time. like young young Will Smith. Uh, Wild Wild West. Yeah. Um, ugh, what came out? Independence Day came out after the show ended, but he was in... It wasn't Bad Boys. He was in something before... Like the year before this, whatever show it ended. was, there was a point in time where like he was everybody's favorite actor, mm. like everybody. Yeah, I, 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 that man probably has like twenty Kids Choice Awards to his name. It's fair. <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, that, that was my real path with the show. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I didn't watch the show. I, I don't know any of the characters. <laughs> it's the same way. Like we know words to Baby Shark that we've never seen a Baby Shark video. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, let's this. Uh, so, in preparation for this episode of, of Media Made, Jess and I watched a very comprehensive retrospective of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It, it was very, yeah. very comprehensive. Um, Good it, word. It's, it's on YouTube. It's by uh, YouTube's Jose, 
Uh, I love Jose. He, he does great work. Um, he has a he has a great series of book reviews. So highly recommend checking out Jose and his Fresh Prince retrospective. It is an hour and a half long, but hey, if you're already sitting here for this, we know you can do the time. And also you can step up the speed if it goes too yeah. slow for you. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about here came from him and a little bit of my own research. But um, yeah, let's just jump into it. All right. Set the stage for Mr. Prince. <laughs> <laughs> In the late 80s, music manager Benny Medina, who had worked for Motown as a prodigy of record executive Barry Gordy, and, the, and, uh, and then later for Warner Brothers Records, uh, began marketing a TV show based on his life. Right? So he had a very uh, interesting journey. Uh, like a rags to riches story, mm-hmm. like basically, him and his siblings had been born into East LA, um, but after the def- death of his mother and the abandonment by his father, he and his siblings bounced around between relative guardians and foster homes. Mm. But his life changed when he befriended a wealthy white teenager from Beverly Hills, uh, whose parents allowed him to live in a refurbished garage behind the property. Nice. Uh, yeah. Good. Uh, very luck. good. Very, very good luck. people. Um, so the new environment allowed him to attend Beverly Hills High, where he was a successful student and where he met musician and future Motown executive, Carrie Gordy. Ooh. Yeah. Carrie Gordy, I think was the son of Barry Gordy. Ah. Um, speaking of Barry Gordy, uh, his daughter married Jermaine Jackson. <laughs> ah. Which is why. I going to say Mary Gordy. I was like, stop. We talked about Jermaine when we talked about Whitney in 1985. That's true. Just want to throw a shout out to, shout out to, uh. Shout out to Jermaine. So when developing the show idea, Medina decided to change the premise from a black character living with a rich white family to a black character living with a rich black family, um, as the former concept had been done in multiple TV shows uh, by that point. Yeah. So, like, I'm thinking uh, the show with... uh, Good Times? Gary Coleman. No, not Good Times. Uh, Different Strokes. Different Strokes. Uh, Max... Not Maxwell. Webster? Mm -hmm. Webster. Webster. It was played out. Yes, it's been, it had been done a couple of times. Yep. Uh, he told Ebony Magazine, quote, the way we could explore black-on-black prejudice as well as black class differences was the reason for doing the show in this yeah. way, which makes total sense. I know you brought super that up while it. we yeah. were watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I super appreciate it. I, I know you're going to get into more history, so I don't want to do it, but it's something that's very clear even from the first episode, the uh, the difference in classism even within the the a black community, so. Yeah. I think it was a good choice. <laughs> uh, Medina pitched the idea to Motown's Quincy Jones, uh, the man who helped Michael Jackson on his path to superstardom. Ooh. Yep, so we talked Quincy Jones when we talked Michael Jackson's bad. Who's bad? <laughs> Jones had just signed a TV deal with Time Warner, so it seemed appropriate that he would be working with Medina. Uh, Jones was impressed by the idea and arranged a meeting with NBC. Cut to Willard Smith, West Philadelphia, <laughs> born and born raised. raised. <laughs> um, he was a Philadelphia-based rapper who had got his start as the MC in the duo DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. He didn't even have top billing. <laughs> they had released three albums by 1990 and spawned popular singles like Parents Just Don't Understand mm-hmm. and I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson. <laughs> this is what I would call happy rap. <laughs> I think I can beat... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> But despite his success, Smith had come into debt after underpaying his income taxes. Um, So he needed a a steady income stream. So after a chance meeting with Benny Medina at a taping of the uh, Arsenio Hall show, 
Smith reluctantly agreed to audition for Medina's sitcom idea. <laughs> I guess they struck up a conversation. Medina saw the, the potential in Will Smith, told mm-hmm. him to... Saw the swagger. Told him to audition. Will Smith was like, I've never acted before. And he, I think the only reason he took, he took the audition was because he needed the money. He did need the money. I mean, yo, we take jobs for that. <laughs> so Medina invited Smith to meet Quincy Jones at a party in December 1989 there, Jones handed Smith a script of a failed Morris Day pilot that he had that he had produced, and basically challenged him right then and there to audition on the spot. Oh wow! That's and, uh, pressure. We watched that. We watched a, an interview or a clip of an interview that, interview that Will Smith did, and he was like, "All right, you got you, you got ten minutes to prepare. You, you're going to audition right now." And he's like, "Man, can, can I have like a day or two to like get prepared and stuff like that?" Yeah, you could do that. Or you can man up and do it right now. <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah, right? something along those lines. Quincy Jones, like... He's like, okay, I guess we're doing it then. Yeah, he's like, all right, doing it. Give me ten minutes. So despite never acting before, Smith took the challenge. And the first contract for the show was drawn up that night in, wow. a, limous- in a limousine. Wow. <laughs> yep. Didn't know that. Yep. Three months later, the pilot was shot. Okay. Fast-tracked. Very quick. Yep. Credited series creator Andy Barowitz remarked that, quote, uh, the show was written and taped in about three weeks, start to finish, and somehow it worked. <laughs> Wait, the whole, the, like, the like, episode the or pilot, the show? The pilot. Okay. Yeah. First episode. He called it an explosion of really good luck. <laughs> and that luck paid off because we had a great pilot. It was picked up by NBC and here we are. Yeah. Talking about it. I mean, true. It's the, In general, this whole story is very lucky. <laughs> yeah. It's re- it's a really interesting story. Like I would I would I think it would be interesting just watching a dramatic rendition of like Will Smith's like young career, you mm. know, like have someone other than Jaden Smith play a young Will Smith. <laughs> Making a Well, Will Smith's already done the pursuit of happiness where he was playing a guy, it's real life thing. True. So, I mean, I yeah, just to see like how this all turned out. Yeah, I'd love to see like this like him at that party, like being challenged to just act there on the spot would be really interesting. Yeah. I don't know why, but for some reason it's giving me kiss, kiss, bang, bang vibes, which is not what it would turn out to be. Never mind. No, it's is, just, there, is there a no, scene? No, not a scene, but just the um, idea of like meeting at a party and everything changes and that's what kiss, mm, kiss, bang, bang is. Got it. So let's talk about this episode. I- we watched the first episode. It's called The Fresh Prince Project, which I think is like... It more or less is like it sounds like a working title, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it does. This, this is our project about the Fresh Prince, the rapper. Yeah, this is like behind the scenes. That was probably what it was shopped around as, as <laughs> the Fresh Prince project instead of the Fresh Prince. And they trailer. just didn't like decide. They didn't change it or anything like mm. that. They just kept it what it was. And yeah, so the show starts with the iconic theme song. You can, uh, you feel, feel, feel free to sing along if you want. Scream out. Now this is a story all about how Wait, my life got us or that? Any of us. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll hey, tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. In West Philadelphia. Those aren't even words. Oh my god, 
Auntie and Uncle, Uncle and Bella. Bella. All right, we're going we're gonna to cut that off for a second. Okay, because... So we were watching this first episode, and right, you, n- normally, like, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistle for a cab, and then it came, right? And, like, so people talk about, like, did he take a cab from West Philadelphia to Bel Air? Yes. No. There is a second verse of the song that's cut out in most episodes of the show. But here in this pilot, they play the full song. So I'm going to play the... Missing link. Yeah, the, the, the part of the song that's, you know, not often heard. I begged and pleaded with her day after day, but she packed my suitcase and sent me on my way. She gave me a kiss and then she gave me my ticket. I put my walkman on and said I might as well kick it. First class, yo, this is bad. Drinking orange juice out of a champagne glass. Is this what the people of Bel Air living like? Hmm, this might be all right. I whistled for There we go. Now he's whistling for that cab and the cab came in. dice in the mirror. If anything, I can say that this cab was rare, but I thought, man, forget it. Yo, Mr. Bel Pulled up. <laughs> I pulled up to the house about seven or eight, and I yeah, yelled to the cabbie, go home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there. She sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air. So, like, okay, this song was written and uh, performed by Will Smith, obviously. <laughs> uh, but the music was produced by one Quincy Jones, so there is Michael DNA in mm. this theme song. I think... It, it, like, carries on the tradition of a show's theme song explaining the premise of the show, mm-hmm. right? Like, Gilligan's Island, the theme song explains the premise of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of any other examples. <laughs> but that's, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's very standard for sitcoms mm-hmm. to do that. But you, pointed some, that. but you pointed something out in this first episode that it was very unique for a sitcom. Yeah. How does the episode start? The episode starts uh, where the theme song ends. Right. So uh, we see him ending with his head swivel. He's knocking on the door at his auntie, auntie and uncle's house. Yeah. And then it fades into the hallway, the front entrance, and Jeffrey, whom we will get to, is um, walking up to the door that is being knocked on to the theme of a song. And it's Will at the door. They, like, meld seamlessly. He's, he's dressed in the same outfit that he's dressed in he's, in the theme song. Mm-hmm. So the theme song really is just, like, the introduction to the first episode of the show. Yeah. Which is so cool. Yeah, it's cool. just a part of the show. <laughs> Your Uncle Philip. Oh, uh, my fault, man. I must have got the wrong crib. But, hey, yo, I ain't know there were so many brothers living in this neighborhood. We're doing all right, huh? As you mentioned, he uh, he meets Jeffrey. Jeffrey. The butler. He, yeah, he's the butler. He's, uh, I, I would, would, is the term straight man? He's the straight man. He's the yeah. straight man. Uh, Until you realize that he low-key hates the entire <laughs> Banks family. He's really just sarcastic and like, but not really. Like the things he says are like, oh, that's sarcasm. No, it's, no, he meant that hateful thing he said. <laughs> you have the right house. I am Jeffrey, your uncle's butler. Oh, okay, well, uh, cheerio when all that rocks and I. opportunity, bring the horses around, would you? <laughs> If you will follow me, I will show you to your room, Master William. He just sounds so put upon in every clip. He does. Like, you think, like, oh, he's just, like, sick of Will Smith's 
crap, you know. But His the truth, but the truth is, he's like this with everybody. Like yeah. he he can't stand anybody. <laughs> his his entire, you know, all of his his clients or not clients, but his employers, employers. He can't stand them, except for Ashley. Ashley's yeah, but Ashley. She's a kid. <laughs> Ashley's a child. We'll talk about Ashley in a second. But Will gets the tour of the house, and he we are introduced to his uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian. Vivian. Yes. Vivian. <laughs> hey, Aunt Viv. How are you doing? Hi. <laughs> oh, doing? my goodness. Let me look at you. Turn around. Honey, the last time we saw you, you were this funny little boy. Now look at you. Oh, my goodness. You are a man. Well, that was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. You certainly have grown, Will. Well, we all have. <laughs> As he uh, smacks Uncle Phil's belly. <laughs> So how would you describe Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv? Um, Aunt Viv is vivacious and full of life and energy and um, excited that Will's there, right? Because she, Will is her nephew, her sister's son. Yeah. So her sister sent her son to her for safekeeping. Yes. Uh, and she's just happy to see him. And, and Uncle Phil is stern. Uncle Phil is stern. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best. that's the best way to put it. It's not... He's not overjoyed to have Will there, uh, even right off the bat before he gets his stomach padded. <laughs> but yeah. um, but unlike uh, previous shows that we've seen where um, somebody comes to stay with them, he isn't like, come on, honey, let's just lock up the house and pretend we're not here. Mama will never know. Oh, yeah. Unlike um, <laughs> Carl Winslow. <laughs> unlike Carl Winslow, Phil is, uh, he's he wears the pants in the house, I feel like. Or they both do. Yeah, I was like... That's mm. true. Yeah, no, Viv, Viv, <laughs> Viv's a very strong woman. But no, I think Phil is s- still assertive and strong, whereas Carl Winslow is is like a man baby sometimes. <laughs> he Yeah. He play, he was played for man... Uh, he was... Played no, for laughs. Play, yeah. The, hard speak. Cannot. <laughs> broken. But Un- Uncle Phil is like the ultimate straight man, at least in this first episode. Like, yeah, he's not trying. He doesn't want to put up with with Will. Like, it's like a shock to his system. Yeah, this is not his. It's his nephew, but it's like not his nephew. Yeah, like uh, they're not. They're they're very much family by marriage right now. Yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy the trip? Oh, yo, the plane ride was stupid. I was up in first class. Excuse me. <laughs> no, I was saying the plane was dope. Excuse me. <laughs> No, stupid, dope. Oh, no, that, that doesn't mean what you... Um, how would he... The flight was really neat, yeah. Was stupid ever slang? Yes. This this is stupid. As yes. in, this is great. Yes. I've never... Yeah, never heard that. You wouldn't. It's urban. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that came back at you. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard dope. Never heard stupid. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And even in songs. Let's get stupid in here. <laughs> That's a different word. <laughs> but yeah, I think that club does a good job of explaining like the difference, the, the clash of mm-hmm. Will and of Uncle Phil. Yeah. Uncle Phil is very, uh, very proper or uh, refined, right? Yeah, like refined he, is a good he's, word. He, he's, he's very wealthy man. He's well educated, and I think he he is like clearly caught off guard with a lot of the slang that Will brings in. Mm-hmm. Will is like the way he's dressed, even is like such a like shock to 
like Phil, right? Phil yeah. is like dressed in a suit. You look very sharp, and Will comes in with his bright colored <laughs> like shorts, jorts, or whatever. <laughs> his backwards hat. Yeah. Um, then we meet the 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 the, the kids, right? Uh, Will's cousins. So who do we got? I think Ashley comes first. Will, this is Ashley. Hey, hi, my little Scottish cousin. She's, she's dressed in a school uniform. Nice to make your acquaintance. I'm your humble servant. He's cute. I know he is. So can you describe Ashley Banks for us? Small young girl. <laughs> That's it? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't get much of a character until maybe later in the season, but definitely like season two, um, because then we're all like, oh, boys and things to do with my life. But right now she's just the like quickest bridge, I think, in this household. Yeah. I mean, other than Aunt Viv, right? But just kind of uh, the, like, I grew up in this, and um, but it's easy for me to accept you because I'm young, and I think you're cool yeah. and shiny and new. She's she's innocent. Yeah. Right? She's like the youth. She has a lot of energy. And like you said, I think she warms up to Will immediately. Yeah. And he... She becomes like this, uh, like tabula rasa for him, right? Like the mm. term, like she's the blank slate, right? Yeah. So there's that, there's that possibility that he's going to rub off on her right. and be a bad influence, and I'm sure that's what Uncle Phil is worried about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's young and impressionable. Yes, but for the most part, there, you know, she's she's there to tell funny jokes because, like you said, she grew up in this environment. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna take a swim before dinner. Good luck, mom. The pool heater's broken. Don't you just hate it when that happens? Oh, yes, that is my pet peeve. <laughs> you got your own pool in here? Mm-hmm. And a tennis court, too. Mm-hmm. Yo, this is better than a love boat. This boy gonna be maxing every last <laughs> Talked about how, like, the dumb references in Animaniacs, like... Looney Tunes. Sorry. Tiny Tunes. <laughs> Tiny Tunes. <laughs> we talked about how, like, the, those references just seem kind of like they don't land for me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, that love boat joke makes me <laughs> laugh because it's so dumb. <laughs> Like, I feel like it's just dumb enough to be like, yeah, that's funny. And the way he says it, yo, this is better than Love Boat. <laughs> delivery. It, it's, it is the delivery. <laughs> Will Smith is a very charismatic person. Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, for someone who's never acted before, the man's a natural. Yeah. He has, the, he has like, the comedic timing down. He just has that natural charisma that, like, you just like, yeah, I buy this guy. I'm not going to say that Will Smith is not charismatic because that would be a lie. Um, and he does get that timing down. But I think that personally, I think that Will Smith is just really good at acting like himself. And he happens to be super charismatic and a funny guy. So he can hit those beats. I don't think he has a lot of range. I just don't think he has a lot of range. Well, but you don't need a lot of range for Fresh Prince. I was going to say, the show is not asking him to yeah. show range. It's asking him to like... To be the Fresh Prince. Play this character well. And he's and he doing does. great. He's doing great. He's doing great. Name another character, another another child in the Banks household. Who shows up right then and there? Hillary Banks. Dad, I need $300. <laughs> Hillary, your cousin Will is here. Hi. Dad, I need $300. That's a lot of money, Hillary. What for? I need a new hat. <laughs> for what? Probably her head. <laughs> I asked you, like, does she do that voice the whole show? Yes. Yes, she does. <laughs> she is, she, again, I, I had never watched the show before, so I'm watching it and I was like, that is the thickest California accent I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. <laughs> like, the most stereotypical valley girl ever. And it's perfect. <laughs> I need a new hat. <laughs> Honey, I love the show. 
This I'm, is so much fun. Oh my god. Oh, how much longer do you think I can do this for? Don't do it. Oh, but I will. No more. No, um, I have to. So Hillary and I think Ashley as well are based on Quincy Jones's kids. Mm. Uh, we watched an interview with uh, one of the writers who said that he got the idea from a, I guess he heard a voicemail or, or a, like an answering machine, right? Mm. A voice message from one of Quincy Jones's daughters to Quincy and I guess she went to a like a day camp or something. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I th- no, I think it was probably like it felt like a summer camp. Or summer something camp. Like that. Yeah, yeah. And the voice clip just said, "Dad, the water here sucks. S- can you send some Evian?" <laughs> like it's so good. <laughs> I love that. And uh, yeah, so Hillary is a vapid valley girl, obsessed with fashion and shopping and, and her image and her image. And I guess the environment as well. No. <laughs> okay, like I'm going on the Save the Ozone Celebrity Bus next Saturday. It's going to be Bruce Willis and Demi, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, or Charlie Sheen, I can't remember which. We're going to take the bus all over town to protest air pollution, and then we're going to motor to the beach and have a big bonfire. <laughs> what? I- I'm not an expert or anything, but don't you think driving a big old bus around town and then... Having a bonfire sort of adding to the problem of pollution? What do you think? <laughs> so that's the joke of the episode is like she keeps talking about the ozone and how it's it's my calling. Yeah. And people, when people press her on it, she has no idea what she's talking no, about. No, whatsoever. She has a very good speech at one point um, at a dinner party later in the episode about uh, the importance of the ozone and how pollution is really tearing it apart and how we are uh, a part of the problem. And then someone... Did you get that clip? No, I don't have that clip. Uh, and then somebody was like, oh, you're just so passionate about that. Where can I donate? And she's like, oh, how should I know? <laughs> That's Hillary Banks for you. <laughs> and last but not least... Carlton Banks. Look who's here, Will. Hey! Who is he? <laughs> Feels about right. It's your cousin, Carlton. Don't you remember? When you two were little, people used to think you were twins. You looked exactly alike. Oh, yes. Some things never change. (laughs) How's it going there, Will? Yeah, it's going all right, man. So Carlton is a short man. (laughs) Uh, That's one of the like visually, he looks very different from Will Smith because Will Smith is tall and lanky. Yeah. Uh, Carlton is very short, but he's also dressed in like a. What do you preppy? Like he's, he's got like the preppy sweater vest, but like a sweater draped over his shoulders. Yeah, like you see, like I've never seen a human being actually dressed that way in my life. Yeah, that's I true. guess I don't go up to the valley enough. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point of the sweater on the, on the shoulder? I mean, I guess I mean because I would just tie it around my waist. Yeah, but he he talks very proper and. Yeah, <laughs> and he is the antithesis of everything that Will is. Right. This, this, as a young black man. As somebody who spent their entire life in Bel Air, mm-hmm. uh, he is like a snooty rich boy. Yes. Um, and him and Will, like, I think they're friendly, but Will has a little bit of distaste for Carlton. Yeah, a little contempt. A little contempt. That's a really neat touch, isn't it, Will? Oh, yes, it's definitely the cat's meow. (laughs) Wait till we come downstairs in those tuxes. People may not think we're twins, but I'll bet they'll think we're brothers. You know, I don't think you have to worry about anybody mistaking you for a brother. (laughs) Mm. 
Touche. Touche. I don't understand why that was Carlton's response to that. He, I think Carlton is self-aware enough to understand that Will was making fun of him at that point. Mm. So, like, that's another thing about the show. Like, even in this first episode, we're presented with this, like, black-on-black prejudice or... Yeah. Or uh, conflict, class mm. conflict. Yeah. Things to say on that. And I think that, yeah, no, it, it happens early on in these things, right? Like, it's definitely played for laughs. Obviously, got a big pop from the audience the, the fake audience that is the most canned laughter by the way like i've not what i can't tell the difference oh man it, it sounds so fake to me anyway <laughs> but yeah right like these are, are two both of them are young black men um and but both of them have had such different upbringings and have different values um or even in that they have the same they have a lot of the same values but they are presented differently. I'm very sure that Carlton cares just as much as much about his family as Will does. Mm -hmm. And they are family. They share the same family, but even in that, you know, they still see some of that family as other. And like, I mean, they're my family, but they're not my family kind of thing. And so you, yeah, you see it right now, which is like, can't nowadays, definitely. Um, when you really are thinking about it, that's an offensive thing to say, like nobody would mistake you for a brother. It's like, you're not black enough. Yeah. You know, that's super offensive. Yep. Um, but like something that even as you, even as we say that we know what the character will is saying. Yeah. You know, like if we're like, what does it mean to be, black what does it mean to x y and z but you have a thing in your head like you know what will is saying what carlton is missing in will's um idea yeah of blackness and carlton does the same thing just in in different ways because um it's really interesting it's really interesting you don't see it a lot in this first episode but the like microaggressions that carlton um, do that he doesn't even realize because they're learned, you mm-hmm. know? You can see Phil doing them a lot in this episode. Yeah. Um, and that is just the way it shakes out and why, it's like, it's not necessarily, I don't think of it as, like, oh, I hate that. It's like, oh, this is a thing that really happens. This is a thing that, like, yep. we don't talk about. And just to be able to see it, you know, on that level is so interesting. Yeah, and, like, so in this episode, Will is the fish out of water, mm-hmm. right? He's... He's the character has to, like, learn a new environment, right? Right. And so all the other characters are, like, laying expectations on him. And so I know that in future episodes, the roles are reversed where they're in a situation where Carlton is the fish out of water, right? Yeah. So there, we watch clips from an episode where Carlton and Will go on a road trip and they're driving, like, a fancy car through uh, like a neighborhood at night and they get pulled over Mm -hmm. and Will is trying to tell Carlton how to behave uh, for the situation and Carlton doesn't get it. Right. He's like, like, he tells Carlton, hey, yeah, like put your hands on the steering wheel and Carlton's like, why? I don't have to do that. And then like, Will is the expert in the situation. Mm -hmm. You see how different their upbringings and how differently they react to the same situation. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it really, really, really is. And then even just as the show continues on, not necessarily in this episode, seeing the, the melding of those worlds and seeing these characters trust each other. Right. Um, a little behind-the-scenes factoid. Um, so Carlton is named after writer Carlton Cuse, huh. who would go on to be the showrunner of Lost oh. in 2004. So like 20 years before, 15 years before Lost debuted, uh, we've got a character named Carlton based after him. <laughs> so... Cool. <laughs> That's a nice little fact. He, he is 
Carlton Cuse is a very, very, very white man. (laughs) So I think that might have been a joke on Carlton being kind of like a whitewashed black kid. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so as we mentioned, there is a dinner party that night. Mm -hmm. Your uncle has invited several of the partners from his law firm to dinner. At the time of the invitation, he did not realize you would be descending upon him today. And regrettably, it was too late to cancel. Yeah, we having a party? Oh, so we're gonna get stupid, right? <laughs> For some of us, that will require very little effort indeed. There's that sarcasm from Jeffrey again. Yeah. I will say, just real quick, Will grows on Jeffrey specifically because he creates so much friction and Jeffrey's like, yes, yes, fa- fodder, fodder. Mm. He appreciates Will as an agent of chaos? Yes. Yes, he does. Um, so from there, the... For the most part, the rest of the episode is Will being a fish out of water at this dinner party and making a fool of his uncle. Mm-hmm. Like not not even on purpose, just not, just by his antics and his unrefined behavior. Yeah, I think some of it is purposeful. Some of it is purposeful. Some of it just but... seems like I have a cousin just like this. That's just like overactive, mm-hmm. right? He's just kind of like fidgety, and he like like Will is at the dinner table, and he's like. Using his forks and knives to, like, bang on the glass cups to make music. Yeah. And that just seems like something my cousin would do. Yeah. Like, just overactive and always has to do something. Yeah. He's always, always going to make noise or, or touch something. And... Absolutely. I I, th- I don't think that was intentional. I think that was... But I think him coming down dressed the way he was, specifically with the, the cummerbund wrapped he, he around was, his he was, chest. He was dressed in his normal street clothes. Um... With a suit jacket over them and just the cummerbund in between. Yeah. So that specifically, yeah, that specifically, like, he looked like, he like looked you're like doing idiot. that on purpose. Yeah. It's like, I just want to be myself. But you look like a clown. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, do one or the other. Right? Like, even if he had just come down dressed in his... His street clothes and a, a suit jacket over it? Fine. With his sneakers in his hat? Yeah, yeah. Fine. What's the cummerbund for, my guy? <laughs> um, but he does... We get some great quips um, between Will and the dinner guests. Will, these are my partners in the law firm of Firth, Wynn, and Meyer. Hey, Earth, Wind and Fire, when's your next album coming out? <laughs> uh, Will is going to go to Bel Air Academy with Carlton. Oh, good for you, Will. I used to fence at Bel Air. Really? How much you think we could give it a stereo? <laughs> <laughs> So that's a great example. I think the writers of the show were so clever because they would use words with double meanings, mm-hmm. right? And specifically double meanings where for one, you know, like the upper class, it means one thing. And for like a lower class, it means a different, yeah. different thing. So fence, like he meant fence, like with swords, like what? Yeah, sword play. Yeah, <laughs> like the Olympic sport. Whereas he meant like you're the fence between like a thief and the seller of the... Right. <laughs> of, of, what's been stolen it's, <laughs> i love that I yeah it's like we're like it's so it's like you said it's so clever to be even the same like we can be speaking the same language and saying something completely different right and they they, they pepper in a few of those throughout this episode and the most cringy part of the episode uh we the get prayer? we get the, the we get so young ashley say says grace and this comes after a scene where her and will are just chatting in having will's, a heart to heart yep, <laughs> in in will's bedroom and Will teaches Ashley how to rap. (laughs) And so when it comes time to say grace, this is what happens. 
Sweetie, would you say grace, please? Yes, Mommy. <clears throat> hey there, Lord. My name is Ashley Banks. My family and friends want to give you some thanks. So before this dinner's all swollen and chewed, thank you, God, for this stupid food. This stupid food. <laughs> That happened. That definitely happened. <laughs> and nobody stopped this child at any point. <laughs> I'd been like, no, she, no, 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 no. She's so pleased with herself, though. She, so like, looks pleased. to Will for instant gratification. Like, I did it. <laughs> and Will's like, oh, no. So all of those antics leave Uncle Phil uh, quite heated. He is not a happy Uncle Phil. Yep. So he has to. So the episode kind of finishes off where Uncle Phil and Will have a confrontation. Yeah. I think confrontation is probably stern good. talking to? Mm. I want to talk to you. About what? You know. From the minute you walked in that door, you've been a one-man wrecking crew, trying to tear down what's taken a lot of hard work to build up, skewering everything with your flippant shenanigans. Man, I, I was with you up till skewering. <laughs> Just like in Growing Pains, um, when Uncle Phil gets angry and turns on the dad, like, the dad yell... Mm. I tense up. I'm like, oh, please don't yell at me. That's fair. <laughs> Uncle Phil's got, he's got a voice. He's got one of those voices where you're like, I am sorry for whatever they did. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't me. <laughs> he's quite a scary man. And he's, I think he's the most, other than, other than Je- Jeffrey, <laughs> he's the most classically trained actor on the cast. I think Aunt Viv might. Yeah. Even, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least in this episode, Uncle Phil gets the most dramatic yes, scene. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he, he's asked to act the most. Yeah. <laughs> we need some acting, man. We need you to really act in there. <laughs> Your aunt and I went through a lot of trouble to bring you out here, and this is the thanks we get? And I ain't asked to come here. Everybody's talking about shipping me off and dressing me up and changing me into something that I don't want to be. Nobody wants to change you. You told me yourself, I got to straighten out and when in doubt, act as Carlton. Next. Man, I don't want to be like Carlton. I mean, I'm a joker. I play around. I have fun. Mm-hmm. Being a joker is what's gotten you into trouble. You may think it's cool to be on the streets when you're 17, but when you're my age, it's a waste. You know, I can't think that far ahead. <laughs> I tell you, like, you, this is not good acting by Will Smith here? I think he's doing a great job. I, I didn't say he's not a good at this. He's good at this. <laughs> he's good at this. But he's only good at this. Yes. <laughs> if I pull up Wild Wild West, it's just the Fresh Prince. If I watch Hancock, which I will never do to myself again, it's just Will Smith. If I watch Hitch, it's just Will Smith. If I watch Seven Pounds, it's just Will Smith. They're not different characters, it's just Will Smith. Fair. And here, it works excellently. And in Hitch. Fair enough. Um, Either way, they sell a good scene, they sell a good moment where Will finally is asked to examine himself, and he's trying to defend himself. He's like, I don't want to change, I, I... I just want to be myself, but, you know, Uncle Phil has, like, the dadly advice. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. No, you need to think about your, you know, think about your, you can be yourself, but you need to have tact. Yeah. Be respectful. Yeah. You know, learn a little bit from me and I'll learn a little bit from you. No, he's not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like. That's true. <laughs> I, 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 mm, he's not saying that. He's saying. As much as he's telling Will, like, I'm not telling you to change. Like, in this episode, he is, though. He really, he really is, right? Like, the stuff that he's saying, like, I understand the heart. He grows into that. But right now, it's lip service. (laughs) I think you're right, actually. Because um, let me play one more clip, and then um, we'll talk about it. Look, man, I don't have a problem, all right? You had a problem. 
All right, I remind you of where you came from and what you used to be. Now, I don't know, somewhere between Princeton or the office, you got soft. You forgot who you are and where you came from. You think you're so wise. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Mm, mm. That Let line. me tell you something, son. I grew up on the streets just like you. I encountered bigotry you could not imagine. Now, you have a nice poster of Malcolm X on your wall. I heard the brother speak. I read every word he wrote. Believe me, I know where I come from. So what Will says to him there, I think it was just, you know, mean. Like, I think, I think mm-hmm. a low blow, right? Yeah. Like, you've changed. You, you're, yeah. You've sold out. You sold out, right. I don't agree with him. But I do think, now that you've said something, I do think that Uncle Phil is a little, bl- a little bit at fault because he is also judging Will in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? He sees Will in a, you know, a limited lens. Yeah. Um, and in order to respond to his, like Will's low blow, I understand why he responded that way. Yeah. Will was out of line. He'd be put in his place. Yeah. And he needed to defend himself. For that, I say Uncle Phil was in the right. But also there's, so there's a moment after this scene where Uncle Phil's like, I'm going to bed. Like, we'll talk about this in the morning. Yeah. And Will sits down at the piano in the, in the living room and starts playing Beethoven. Yeah. And, Will's, and uh, Uncle Phil turns around and, like, looks for a second and we're like, oh, maybe I'm wrong about this kid. Or, yeah. I, maybe there is more than meets the eye with Will. Yeah. And I was like, that's the moment that tells you that Uncle Phil is also a little prejudiced. Yeah. In his thinking. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, right, like 100%. It's it's as much as he was saying what he was saying, it's he didn't think there was more to Will. He thought, I'm going to have to put all of that stuff there. Uh, and even even in saying this, like, the thing that makes him feel like, ah, uh, there's more to Will, Will is him playing this, I'm sorry, classical standard white... <laughs> acknowledged thing but what what had would had what would have happened if he played a, a blue standard you know like yeah. what would have happened if he played you know because there's so much but you can even see in that right like those are the the values that he has and my main thing with like with uncle phil especially in this episode uh and i say uncle phil the most because we're right he gets the most screen time yeah and him and carlton do the most of it but i think um vivian and phil are excellent at code switching, but um, Vivian probably does it a lot more often than Phil does because Phil is entrenched in the world of his partners and he his wants country to, club and what he wants to be a politician. Yeah, and all those. Th- yeah, exactly. So he probably hasn't had the chance or has put him himself in positions to be able to. Uh, be in circles with people who live a different way, like even slightly, maybe not, maybe not in poverty, maybe more middle class to like where he is. Are they considered middle class? Oh no, they're, they're upper class. That's what I thought. So (laughs) with that house, I don't know. That's fair. Beverly Hills. Um, and so I think that, um, I think that that's the the real thing, right? Like where Vivian, you see her in scenes, like even just at the dinner thing, like, did you invite him? I don't, I don't want him to come because I don't want to deal with her and, and how easily she talks with Will. And you can tell she probably keeps in touch with her sisters often yeah. who are in different life 
stages or areas than yeah. she is. Um, and so she is a little more fl- fluid and a little more bending and being able to like, I understand what you're saying and therefore I can communicate with you on this level so that we can hear each other and understand each other. Yeah. Not like she's like talking down to him, but like understanding that he isn't talking ignorantly or like he doesn't have any sense or any clue just, or because, class. His, just because his language is different, yeah. you know, whereas Phil's not there. Right. And I think without that little moment where Phil like is caught off guard for just a second, I think we wouldn't realize that both of these characters have things to learn about each other yeah. and from each other. Yeah. And I think that's that's what it's a good stepping off point for the rest of the show. Yeah, where it's, it's an like excellent pilot. <laughs> yeah. For it's like I want to see how Phil can learn from Will and how Will can learn from Phil. Yeah. I wanna see that. Wanna see it. And I wanna see Carlton dance. <laughs> His, whatever that dance is. It's called the Carlton. The Carlton dance. No, it's literally the Carlton. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we hear him sing in this episode. Oh, he, he sings like, it's like a show tune in the shower. And it's yeah. like, he sounds like a little girl. <laughs> he has a very high voice. Alfonso Rivera, good on you, brother. <laughs> so I, I couldn't find a lot of, like, ratings data, I guess. And okay. contemporary stuff. So... Fresh Prince of Bel-Air received fairly positive reviews, but it's since become a well-regarded classic. Okay. I, th- I think, like, most people look back fondly on this show. Makes sense. Um, but s- some critics were not blown away at first, right? Mm. So the Los Angeles Times, again, oh, said... the Times. Uh, the 90s. They just wanted to be... They said, quote, The premiere is tainted by buffoonish caricatures of the rich and phony and a script that is only moderately amusing. Uh, That's pretty harsh. Yeah, it's pretty harsh. I disagree. (laughs) Um, The Orlando Sentinel called the show, quote, a triumph of mainstream mediocrity. Wow. I was like, I think you missed the boat on um, uh, Family Matters. (laughs) 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 That was a triumph of mainstream mediocrity. Yeah. Fresh Prince is like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. We we didn't even talk about it, though. There's like plenty of hip hop. Yeah. And and like just kind of the that. Mm -hmm that flavor brought into the show. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think rap and hip hop had been really like had a place in primetime sitcoms. Until no, this absolutely. Point. Yeah. Not. So yeah. it's a very modern show. Yeah. And bringing things to the mainstream that are like, that were underground, you right, know? Right. But as the Atlantic puts it, quote, even in its regular episodes, the fresh, the fresh prince's exploration of race and identity shed light on a humor and heartbreak that accompanies coming of age as a, uh, that accompanies coming of age as a black person in a majority white culture. Yes. Um, so the show was nominated for one single Emmy in 1986 for outstanding individual achievement and lighting direction for a comedy series. That's it. Yeah. It was snubbed at the Emmys. Wow. Just this year or in general? In general. The whole run. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, Will Smith was nominated for two Golden Globes in 1993 and 1994 for Best Performance by an Actor in a TV Series. So That should have gone to Uncle Phil. <laughs> good job, Will Smith. But yeah, I was like, wow. Really? This, so here's the thing. Like, I was even looking at the ratings. This show, I don't think performed as well as we remember it performing. Hmm. It was, it had pretty good ratings, but no, nothing like extraordinary. Hmm. It had pretty good reviews, but nothing extraordinary. And it wasn't nominated for a lot of awards. I think its popularity came in its reruns. 
and its legacy and how people remember it. Like yeah. people remember it more fondly and then they revisit it more often so they can see how smart and clever and ahead of its time it really was. Mm-hmm. But at the time, people just didn't notice. Yeah. Isn't that weird? No, that happens to all my favorite shows. This one actually didn't, you know, like it canceled after 14 episodes though, so. This is true. <laughs> how many episodes did it run for? Six seasons in a movie? The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air ran for 148 episodes of six seasons, ending its run in 1996. This is the point in our show where we can kind of decide where the show, like, where did it go? What what are some things you remember the show doing in its, you know, other seasons, like further on? Definitely, like, standout episodes, (laughs) obviously. I feel like we all have one. I remember, like, even though you said at the beginning of us talking about it that you hadn't seen any episode until I made you watch it, you knew about... about, I knew about the gun. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a... I knew this one because of podcasts and, and, like, memes, right? There's... I think there's a point in the show where Will Smith, like... I'm going to win that Emmy or whatever it was. I'm going to win that award and I'm going to be the most dramatic actor I can possibly be. So they would do very special episodes with dark subject matter. And I don't know the, was like Carlton, like, did he get mugged? They were both mugged at an ATM uh, and Carlton still being the Carlton who doesn't really necessarily understand everything. Um, wasn't either, either wasn't moving fast enough or was moving too fast and looked like he was reaching for something and the mugger shot, but, uh, Will stepped, spoilers, stepped in the way or like pushed Carlton back and took the bullet. And Carlton bought a gun for self-defense. Yeah. And Will Smith has this super dramatic scene where he's telling Carlton, give me the gun, give me the gun, Carlton, (laughs) give me the gun. And I just remember that because I knew Will Smith was just really trying. Yeah. I mean, he did really good in that, that yeah, scene. Yeah, it was pretty good. There's uh, episodes about drugs, if you're talking about, like, I can't remember who was on speed. It might have been Carlton. That's a tough drug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or Adderall. Like, they were trying to get through, like, um, it was before they were out of high school. They weren't in college yet because I remember specifically, like, somebody got it from the locker or something and, like, addressing addiction and, mm. like, performance enhancing drugs and, like, why it's still, like, yeah, no, it's a drug. Like, you're just like, I just need it so I can stay awake and study. Like, no, 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 no. Um, then, uh, of course, the episode uh, with Will's father returning only to abandon him again, which gets me every freaking time i know what's happening i know what the lines are and i know i just said that will smith is not a great actor that doesn't mean he doesn't have good moments Mm. right like that thing i'm like yeah but i mean it's subject matter and then also just uncle phil i think he does it a lot for you know like yeah in lighter news (laughs) um the show also in its first season introduces a character named jazz Ah. who is played by dj jazzy J. DJ Jazzy Jeff is Will Smith's musical partner. Uh, so that's fun. He yeah. gets thrown out of the house a bunch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and here's here's a funny scene. So in Jeanette, Jeanette Hubert, who played Aunt Viv, mm-hmm. left the show after the third season. Um, so her character was recast and played by Daphne Maxwell-Reed for the remainder of the show's run. Yeah. And I guess there's a lot of drama involved with Hubert's departure, like... There's a lot of he said, she said business going on. So yes. I I think as parse, you know, I, we, we parsed through a lot of the details. And I think what really happened was Jeanette Hubert wasn't making as much money as she thought she was worth, which I understand. Mm-hmm. You're a working person. You, you got a show. have been doing this for three years. Uh, Will Smith, who is a relatively young actor, uh, 
might be making more money than you. Might not have been an issue at all. It was just, hey, I think I'm worth more money. Yeah. The network didn't want to give her any more money, so she left. Yeah. I get it. But I guess her castmates felt that she was being unreasonable or erratic mm-hmm. on set. Disrespectful. Crazy, I think Alfonso Rivera said. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But I think it just came down to money. Yeah. As is the case with a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> so... We watched the clip where the new Aunt Viv is introduced. And how do they? How does the show deal with a new actress playing Aunt Viv? Just like a throwaway comedic line of like, you look different ever since you had that baby. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Then like, they oh. never respond to, they never again. No so, other words. Hey, you look different today. That's it. Yep. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I From like all of those, we watched a bunch of clips from future seasons and like the show got super meta sometimes. Yeah. Like I think season four ends with him telling the family, I'm going to move back to Philadelphia and live there. And that's the cliffhanger of the season. At the very beginning of the the, the fifth season, he's working at a, like a coffee shop in Philadelphia. NBC studio like muscle shows up at the door. <laughs> Tosses kid- him in a van. Kidnaps him and brings him back to to Bel Air, saying <laughs> that their star was like AWOL. Or yeah, they, they, on the van it said uh, star retrieval team or something. NBC star retrieval. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like... They didn't care. They were having yeah. fun. The, sh- the show is serious, but then not so serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in true sitcom fashion, Fresh Prince characters have crossed over with other NBC shows. Mm-hmm. Karen Parsons uh, appeared as um, Hillary Banks in the show Blossom. Ah, I don't know what Blossom is. I never watched Blossom. But here's the interesting part. Will Smith also guest starred on Blossom, but as Will Smith, the actor man, not Will Smith, the character. So as Willard Smith and not as William Smith. Correct. Weird. Karen, so Hillary is in Blossom playing the same character that she plays in The Fresh Prince, but Will Smith is also an actor that exists in their universe. Yeah, so I guess she's just like, you look a lot like my cousin, actor guy. Yeah. (laughs) I think maybe it's like a Launchpad McQuack situation where it's like, it's not the same Hillary, but it's the same character, you know? It's like an alternate reality of Hillary. <laughs> it hurts my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the Avengers Endgame of, <laughs> of Fresh Prince. Um, and then um, Alfonso Ribeiro and Tatiana Ali appeared as Carlton and Ashley in the show In the House. Mm. Which was also, I think, also produced. Corey in the house? No, not that one. (laughs) Uh, It was also produced by Quincy Jones. Okay. Um, And I think, I I think it might have followed Fresh Prince, like, on its like nightly lineup or whatever. Mm. And so, you know, they appeared. Carlton and Ashley showed up on that show, and then once Fresh Prince ended, it it, once it was finished, uh, Alfonso Ribeiro went and started playing a new character on In the House. Okay. And then later on in the series, James Avery and Daphne Maxwell Reed show up to play Alfonso Ribeiro's new character's parents. (laughs) Not Phil and and Viv, just his, this new character's parents as like a callback to (laughs) Fresh Friends. Friends. Yeah. Oh. There's a lot of weird incestuous stuff going on. (laughs) Like, I try not to think about it too closely. And then I, it says, I also wrote that Karen Parsons plays... Uh, Hillary in another show called Out All Night. Oh. So she's she was getting around. She was. Hillary was a character that everybody liked. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, she, she's a pretty funny character. She's funny. She, she like as much as you were saying like Will's delivery, like Karen Parsons' delivery, excellent. Yeah, every time. She, she, she's really going for it with that, <laughs> with that Valley Girl thing. A reunion of the surviving original cast called the Fresh Prince Reunion aired on HBO Max in November 2020. Oh wow, that just happened. That just happened. Um, and as part of that special, Will Smith reconciled with Jeanette Hubert, mm-hmm. the original Aunt Viv. So. Cool? Yeah. (laughs) That's nice. That is nice. And in 2019, Sun Squared Media produced a mock trailer titled Bel Air for YouTube, written and directed by Morgan Cooper, depicting a darker, more dramatic reimagining of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm -hmm. And you've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. It is incredible. It is excellent. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, we'll probably link it on Twitter. (laughs) Twitter, Instagram, probably. Check it out. It's called Bel Air. So that video caught the eye of one Will Smith. And he is now developing that concept as a reboot of the series. All right. So him and him and Cooper are working together. As of 2020, NBC's uh, streaming service Peacock <laughs> has given a two-season order for the reboot. Oh, wow. It is being made. Dang, get it. So that's pretty cool. That is very cool. And that's all we got for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You would recommend it? 100% yes. I would also recommend it. It's a great show. Unfortunately, it's locked behind HBO Max right now. So <laughs> if you want to watch it, unless you want to like maybe go to like some sketchy websites to watch it. Uh, so if you got HBO Max, like go sketchy watch it. Sketchywebsite.com. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. I also want to give a shout out to the podcast Live from the Pool House, which is a podcast that goes episode by episode reviewing The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's probably good supplemental material. The, the guys, you know, the folks who run that show are great people. <laughs> uh, highly recommend. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Where do we go now? Well, I guess we're going to need to figure out who won this year. Or, well, we're going to have to figure out who won this episode. And then we're going to need to figure out who won the year. Uh, you won the year. I won the year? No no arguments, yeah. Yeah! Fresh Prince is way better than Tiny Toons. Woohoo! There were moments where I accidentally said a different title of a show instead of Tiny Toons. That's how, that's how, how much it stuck with me. Oh, gosh. All right. Which means, well, that's cool. Oh, man. The 90s were really interesting, though, because, okay, I've won TV of 90. Yep. You won Music of 90. Woo! And we called a draw. Mmm. Straight down the middle, baby. Nope. This one. Okay, kids, I really need you to back me on this. I need you to vote to who won the year. It's me. It's me. I think it was me. But we'll see. So this, who who wins the year 1990 comes down to the audience. Yes. Audience, we're counting on you. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you. If you ever want my homemade cookies again, kids, what has he ever done for you? That's exactly right. Nothing. (laughs) Except edit this for your ears. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So runners up. What do we got? So for me, I really didn't watch anything to fruition. Um, my only runner-up would be Law and Order because my mother loves her some dum 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 dum. <laughs> and uh, because I wrote mine down this time, uh, my two shows were Bobby's World, which is a Howie Mandel Howie Mandel joint. Gosh, uh, it was a really bad cartoon, um, <laughs> and it played on Fox Family when I was little. So just, it was like, uh, whenever I was homesick from school, I would watch Bobby's World and Pee Wee. <laughs> oh, wow. And then the other one was um, Tom and Jerry Kids. Another mm. little tune. <laughs> Another little tune. Yeah. Your parents probably were like, 
It's little tunes. It's just for little him. Yeah. That's it. So you want to talk about oh, plugs? Plugs. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, what we're what we've been working on. What have you been working on, sir? So if you like the show, if you like Media Made, you can do us a few favors. You can one subscribe if you're not on your podcast machine. We are on iTunes, mm-hmm. Spotify, mm-hmm. Google Google Podcast, Google, Google Podcasts, mm-hmm. Podbean. Yep. Let us know. Leave us a comment if you can or a review. Five star reviews really help us out. You can follow us on Twitter at Media Made Show, and you can follow us on Instagram at Media Made Show. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We have polls and fun pictures, and we link to things we talk about. Um, and it's just a funnel, funnel time. It's a funnel time. Tell us what your show of 1990 was. Oh, yeah, do that. Um, go through the big old list, just like we did, <laughs> and find it. Yeah, and if you like my voice, you can hear what I have to say about wrestling. Uh, I have a re- I have a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K A Y F A B E, where we explore the careers and characters of our favorite wrestlers. Um, by this point, we have probably taken a break from Eddie Guerrero, <laughs> um, and we either still on Eddie Guerrero or we're looking at some other folks. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero has a long history. Check it out. We we'll see. Check it out. Whatever we're working on, if you like wrestling, it's probably be something you're interested in. Yeah. Uh, I also write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net where we do news, features, and reviews of uh, content related to the Legend of Zelda video game series. If you like The Legend of Zelda, check us out. What do you got? I, uh, if you like the sound of my voice, write stories and uh, put them up on YouTube. That's what I do. (laughs) I also have some vlogs as I'm writing through my novel, which uh, for the last few weeks I have not been doing because life has been taking turns and turns and turns. But uh, if you enjoy being read to... Come and join me at Taming Tales on YouTube. Yeah, I think that's all we got, right? That's all we got for this 90s world. So, uh, can you explain what we're going out with? So, we all know that uh, the theme song for this show, my show, is iconic. Iconic! And nothing can beat it, which is why we already played it. But we're not going to go out to the sultry tunes of Willard Smith. Instead, we're going to... Listen to a cover. <laughs> yep, so just dug up the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air blues cover performed by the Samurai Guitarist <laughs> on YouTube. Check it out. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. So we're going to close out with that, and we will see you next time with our movies of 1991. Hold on. Let me check to see if I'm excited about that. Hold on. Hold on one second. Let me see if I'm excited about that. I'm excited. <sighs> All right, kids, I'll see you next time. See ya. (laughs) 